For our scripture text for the preaching of God's word, let's turn to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we'll start at verse 18. This is God's holy and infallible word. It's not only, as we learned earlier in this epistle, the only way of salvation through Jesus our Lord, that exalted divine Savior, the only wise God, but this is a passage that teaches us how we are to live in light of receiving the Holy Gospel. Let's look at Colossians 3, starting at verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Let us pray. We thank you, our beloved Lord, for this, your holy and infallible word, and we pray that you would guide and lead us not only mold us as individuals, but mold us as families, as workers, as in anything and everything we do, we pray that you would help us to do all, not for the eye service of men, even for parents, for husbands or wives, but we would do all for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his holy name, amen. Christians are called to stand out and to be different. Um, Jesus mentions this in Matthew 5 of being salt and light. Salt is something that's useful. If it's not useful, it's just worthy to be thrown on the ground and trampled on the foot. Jesus also uses the illustration of being light in this dark world and not hiding our light. I think today's passage is something that talks about salt and light in today's text, there are things that would make Christians, not only Christian families, Christian husbands, Christian wives, Christian children, stand out as different, but also Christian workers, those who are uh, faithful employees, standing out as being different from those around them, as being light, as showing forth a thankfulness for what Christ has done, as demonstrated in the way that they here, in today's text, submit and serve those above them. And uh, in this particular passage, or in this particular epistle, Paul wrote to a church that many scholars would say that he never even visited. But this church had a good reputation of having salt and light, you could say. Um, In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says that we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Looking back at at, uh, chapter 1, 
verse 5, the reason they had this love was because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. They had a hope that this world was not all there was, but they had a hope in heaven, and that influenced how they cared for each other. Um, Verse 7, chapter 1, says that they heard the gospel from Epaphras, one of our beloved fellow bondservants, who is a faithful servant of Christ. So Paul never really met the, the congregation, but he did meet this man, Epaphras. We find out at the end of the epistle that he was a native of Colossae, and that they learned the gospel from this blessed preacher, Epaphras. Um, one thing that, as we look in today's text, there's a shift, you could say, that Paul's uh, epistle um, in, pri- in chapter 2 and elsewhere, it, it's actually warning against false doctrine and the traditions of men. And he also, through this epistle, lays down a groundwork of who Christ is, that he is truly divine. I do believe that this is the absolute best epistle when talking to a Jehovah's Witness, especially chapter 2. Um, but this epistle lays down next a response of how to live in light of the gospel. You see this throughout most of the New Testament epistles. It's a pattern. The pattern goes like this. Behold the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. Look at what Christ has done. Look at the person of Christ. Christ the God-man, in whom is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is who Jesus is. This is his gospel. But now, as we see in today's text, there's a shift in a sense of now, here is how you ought to live in light of this blessed gospel. It always follows um, in, in this particular epistle and many others as well. I would say that this is something that we need in America. Families in America desperately need this epistle. We desperately need reformation for families in America, especially for marriage. We definitely need reformation in the workplace. And I would say, I would argue that we need a restoration of what was called once called the Protestant work ethic. And we'll look a little bit more of that later and what that means. As we look at today's text, the main focus is that God calls each of you to submit to the authorities he has placed over you. God calls you to submit to the authorities he has placed over you. And then we'll look under two main headings. The first is submission to family in family relations, and secondly, submission in work relations. Let's look at this first main point, submission and family relations. Here we have instructions for wives, husbands, and children. The first subset is husbands and wives and their relations together. Verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, for a wife to be subject, another way to paraphrase that would be to be subordinate. Just like in the military, you have superior officers and you have subordinates. But think about that. Think of the necessity of that in war. If you have a, a, a battle, can you imagine just having soldiers running any and every direction? Well, who's going to try to charge the enemy? Or who's going to take, take the enemy at the top of the hill or in that ravine? Instead, everyone's running each and every other way. But instead, what the military does is they have a superior officer who guides the officers below them and directs how the combat is to go. 
And if not for that arrangement, you would not have victory in battle. And in the same sense, in a family unit, you have to have superiors and subordinates. Otherwise, you're not going to have success in battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You could say that each individual Christian is like a soldier, but a family is like the smallest, you could say, unit of military. It's the the smallest unit of the Lord's army, the smallest combat unit of the Lord's army. So again, subject means to be submissive, to be subordinate, But this text does not tell us that you are, as a wife, to blindly follow whatever the husband says, no matter what. Because it says here in verse 18, be subject to your husbands, and the key words here is, as is fitting in the Lord. So when your husband tells you something that is fitting or in accordance with Scripture, even if you don't really care for it that much, you're obligated to go along with it does that mean that you can't discuss it does it mean that you can't have a uh, a conversation about it and say honey do we have to do it this way could we try this but at the end there's a subjection there of authority um in all authority whether it's husbands whether it's parents even or whether it's government If there is authority set over you that is not in accordance with God's word, the word that we are to follow is that we are to obey God rather than men. I want us to turn to uh, Acts chapter 5. Keep your place in in Colossians, but turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts 5 talks about such a case where the disciples are actively disobeying the authorities of the land who are set over them. Um, Verse 27 of chapter 5. When they had brought them, they stood, they brought the disciples or the apostles, uh, when they had brought them, they stood before the council, that's the Sanhedrin or the group of 70 or 71 of the, uh, the highest official officials of Jerusalem, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in the name, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's the blood of Christ. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So, you have the highest religious council in the believing world, the Sanhedrin, telling them something contrary to Scripture. Should they listen? No. We must obey God rather than men. And we'll look a little bit more at some other examples of that. Um, Verse 19 says, Husbands, love your wives 
and do not be embittered against them. Um, submission to a husband is easier, I believe, when a husband is loving. Uh, elsewhere, we, we read that a husband is to lay down his life for his wife, just as Christ laid down his life for the church. If you are that kind of husband and your wife is assured that you love her so much that you're willing to lay down your life for her, I think it will make it easier for her to be submissive. But there's a warning against this um, embitterment. Um, it's, it's a little fuzzy whether or not he is, to be, is being told here not to be bitter in his treatment toward her or if he's warned not to get embittered about something regarding she, what she's doing. But here's the thing. It's not just husbands and it's not just wives and it's not just one-way direction of embitterment. But bitterness is one of the roots that causes a growth of dissent and division that breaks up more marriages than you can imagine. Here's how it goes. One person has an exchange of harsh words. They say something not kind or even mean or ugly to the other spouse. Then there's later on a lack of affection for the spouse then maybe there's a lack of conjugal relations. And then later on, they, they don't want to sleep in the same room. And then later on, there's a divorce because a, a root of bitterness has set in. The ultimate way to keep your marriage intact is to be forgiving. Not only to be willing to ask forgiveness, but to be willing to grant forgiveness and to be willing to have a short list of things that you're angry or bitter about. Otherwise, your marriage will not stand. You cannot hold on to things. You have to be willing to forgive and forget. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you, and your marriage will be blessed rather than letting a root of bitterness get in to your marriage. Hebrews 12 Uh, 15, written there in your outline, says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, especially in your marriage, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That is a warning for a church as well. People in the church can get offended with one another, and the next you know, a root of bitterness sets in, and you have a church split, church division, uh, a church closing its doors. Let's look at uh, child and parent relations next. Uh, Verse 20, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Again, this all things, I believe, should be taken in light of what came before, as is fitting in the Lord. I I knew a story of a a friend of mine I, I, I loved dearly. He became a Protestant. He was convinced, absolutely convinced, of 1 Timothy 2.5, that there is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. And that caused division in the family, especially because he was brought up in the Roman Catholic Church. And as a young man, I believe even a college student, his dad said, you're going to come to Mass with me. So he wanted to obey his dad and went to Mass with his dad. However, You could say maybe that's submitting to your father to at least be willing to attend the Mass. But what he did next was disobedient. And he even told me, he said, he knew he was convicted that he he transgressed, uh, he sinned. 
his father told him, you're going to pray the rosary with me. And you're going to pray to Mary. And you're going to pray to the saints. And he did that anyway because dad said so. Now, I can understand going to Mass. But if, no one should ever force you to pray to someone other than, than to God through Jesus Christ. If you are absolutely convinced the, the right thing for a child to do would say, Dad, I love you and I honor you, but I am not going to pray to Mary. Do to me what you must. But anyway, that, that's a case where children are to obey their parents in all things fitting or in accordance with Holy Scripture unto the Lord. Now, I'm obeying a parent or obeying a husband for things that are not easy, takes sacrifice. But I think that's a sacrifice we give unto the Lord. That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, long-suffering. Sometimes keeping this command requires long-suffering. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not exacerbate your children so that they will not lose heart. The Greek word here, exacerbate here, can also mean to cause someone to feel resentment or to make resentful, or to, be, to make someone bitter. I think that's sometimes easy to do when the parent gets aggravated, or maybe if the kid doesn't listen to the dad, and then the dad blows up, and then next thing you know that there's a hurt relationship because harsh words can be said, and a child can get bitter toward their parent. This is something that we have to be careful with as fathers. And to be honest, I, I do think that it's often a, a sin more of, of dads than, than women, maybe. Women are more tender. Sometimes dads can be a little bit more harsh and rough around the edges, can't they? Maybe we're more guilty of the foot-in-the-mouth disease. But again, the warning here is that if you're not gentle and caring and loving and tender to your children, you can cause your children to lose heart. And that can become discouraged, apathetic, or they could just plain give up. Let's look next at submission in work relations. The text tells us that we are to have a submission in work relations. It says in verse 22, Slaves in all things obey those who are masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, it is a mistake to disregard verse 22 because slavery no longer exists in the United States. There is a sense in which this passage applies to those who are authorities in the workplace. God has given you authorities that you are called to serve. Even in the, uh, even in the realm of waiting on tables, um, a waiter is considered a server. They're serving someone um, who's sitting at a table before them. Um, those who are teachers, they're serving not only a school system, but they're serving students. Those who are um, medical professionals, you're serving a patient. And you're serving a hospital or institution as well. And I believe that's the light in which we are to look at today's text. God has given us freedom, though, we could say, to change who we serve by changing jobs. If you have a, a boss that you just can't phantom serving the rest of your life 
because maybe they're, they're, they're cruel or harsh and you want to change jobs. God has given you freedom to change jobs. That's the main difference between a slave and a, and a, a, a worker. But in as far as you are able, while you're currently under your, your employer that you have right now, seek to serve them in the way that's described in today's text. Look at verses 23 through 24. God calls you to serve your earthly masters, or you could say earthly authorities, or bosses that he has set before you according to this way. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is Christ, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Again, that points back to this thing about not giving just external service. Don't just do your work to make it look good. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna do it just enough to get by. Or the saying used to go, "Good enough for government work." You know, it's, it, it's just, it's just enough to make a show that you can get paid, and that, that your boss is satisfied. In other words, it's not actual work, but it has the appearance of good work. Um, that's not what we are to do. We are to do our work heartily, as for the Lord rather than men. I remember this when I when I started my first job as an occupational therapist out of uh, therapy school. I posted these particular verses on my bulletin board at work. I was serving a company. I was serving a, actually a school system was my first job, and that was something that I was called to do as unto the Lord, serving my students and my school system and my administrators as unto the Lord. Now, how is it that you can serve a public school system, an oil company, or even medical patients in such a way by... How can you serve God by serving them, is my question. Well, first of all, God is the one who ordained to set those bosses over you. Um, Now, what if you're serving pagan clientele what if you're serving a pagan company or a a, a, a pagan school system or whatever, whatever the like the word of the Lord for you this morning is to be found in Jeremiah 29 let's look back at Jeremiah Jeremiah 29 starting in verse 4. This was the word of the Lord given from Jeremiah to the people who were in captivity. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not increase. Here's the key part. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you 
will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to to the dreams which they dream. For they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. The key part here. In those whom you serve, even if it's a pagan King Nebuchadnezzar, in those whom you serve, in seeking their welfare, you will have welfare. As a Christian, you can be a blessing and salt and light where God has set you. Now that's again, in as far as you're serving in such a way that's faithful, wise, and without compromise. Daniel, that blessed prophet of the Lord, that blessed holy man, served pagan kings for almost a, a 70 years. And he had not compromised. He remained faithful to the Lord, but made an outstanding influence among men such as Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius, and King Cyrus of Persia. And God can do the same with you if you are faithful and do not compromise. God calls you to work and worship in diligence in the way that you work. And that excellence brings glory to God. There's two passages here in your outline. Ecclesiastes 9, 10a. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, especially your work, do all to the glory of God. I believe it's something that Martin Luther brought back into the realm of honorable work that it's not just a holy calling to be a monk. It's not just a holy calling to be a, a, a nun or a priest or a bishop or something of that sort. In everything you do, you could have a holy calling if you do it to God's glory, prayerfully following the golden rule to exalt the Lord. And yes, I believe you can even bring honor and glory and have a holy calling in collecting garbage. I, I never forget, after uh, Hurricane Laura, we had someone come from out of state to come and, and help out to clean up all the mess. And these people from out of state cleaned up and picked up trash out of my yard one time. And that one time, I put everything on the street and they gouged my lawn because they had this huge, massive crane that would you know, pick it all up and put it in the truck and haul it off. I, I've been here for years, and the, the wonderful people from Pineville never once gouged my lawn. Doing it once a week for years, they never once gouged my lawn. Those guys give honor to God in their work. They do their work with pride and excellence, and praise the Lord for them. This uh, notion of giving God the glory in how we work is that Christians can and should stand out as different and exceptional in an age of mediocrity. Even if your gifts and your skills are not exceptional, your attitude should be different. Rather than complaining like everyone else, God wants you to see his hand 
even when a trial or a problem comes about, because that's an opportunity not only to serve others, but to, to worship God in how you serve others. This uh, notion of the Protestant work ethic was also called the Calvinistic work ethic or the Puritan work ethic. And it's something that had a, it was this work ethic concept in theology, sociology, economics, and history with an emphasis that diligence, discipline, and frugality, which means being conservative with finances, not wasteful, are all the result of a person's subscription to the values espoused by the Protestant faith, particularly Calvinism. And that term was, uh, was coined by a, a man named Max Weber in his book, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Again, not just Calvin, but Martin Luther should get credit as well. Now, here's the warning, though, in today's text. There's a bunch of things that God tells us how we ought to live, how we ought to work, how we ought to serve in families and, serve, uh, and obey our parents and, and authorities set over us. But there's a warning. For those who refuse to follow God's divine instruction for your family and for your earthly authorities, verse 25 says, He who does such wrong uh, will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. There's consequences in this life and in the next for disobedience. And God's justice is without partiality, which means that just because your your parent is a prominent person in the church, it doesn't mean that God's automatically going to wink at you and say, oh, well done, good and faithful servant, if you yourself are disobedient and do not embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a calling that God will judge all men with impartiality because he is a holy, perfect, and just God. And I believe today's text shows us that we fall short, don't we? But the good news of the gospel is that God sent his only son that perfectly fulfilled the law. He didn't just forgive us of our sins through his blood, but he perfectly fulfilled and obeyed all of these commandments for us and accounted his righteousness to us so that we could stand in that day of judgment. The only hope for you is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you embraced him? If not, God's justice is impartial and you will not be able to stand in that judgment apart from Christ. In today's text, God calls you to submit to authorities that he has placed over you. Submission in the family relations. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting or in accordance with Holy Scripture. Husbands, love your wives and husbands and wives and children, cast off that root of bitterness. Don't be bitter. Be willing to forgive. Seek to be reconciled with your family so that you can have a blessed relationship. But also, God calls you to submit in your workplace. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. 
whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, especially your work, do it to God's glory. For we serve a glorious, blessed master. And remember, when you're serving someone, even if it's somebody who's, not lou- who's lousy and not really deserving, if God has placed them over you, when you serve them, the scripture says you're not just serving them, you're serving the Lord Jesus. And that you obey those lawful commands and you do your lawful duty in such a way to bring honor and glory to the Lord Christ. Let's pray. We ask our beloved Lord that you forgive us of our many sins. Give us as husbands that we have not loved our wives as we ought. Forgive us as wives that we have not honored and submitted to our husbands as we ought. Forgive us as children that we have not obeyed our parents in the Lord as we ought. Oh Lord, in many ways that we have not heeded the voice of the authorities in the workplace set above us. And we know that your judgment is impartial. But we do pray, pleading forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord, through his perfect blood. And also, Lord, we, we plead the perfect righteousness of Christ on our behalf. We thank you, O Father, that you made him, your blessed Son, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him and through him. Help us by faith to trust that holy, blessed gospel. For we pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing God the praise in our hymn of dedication. Uh, Let's stand and sing 474, If Thou But Suffer God to Guide Thee. Let's stand and sing 474.